MSW Media. I probably know more about drinking than you do, but at the same time, I don't mind hanging out with you. You know, you can call me up. I'm Dan Dunn. I drink for a living. I'm going to be hanging out at bars and events all over the world talking about one of the coolest things in the world. Dan Dunn's happy hour. Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's happy hour. Please send help. Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. What we're drinking on this episode of the show is, what I'm drinking at least, <clears throat> I wish you probably wish you were drinking it as well, is uh, a Bunahabin 25-year-old. The island of Isla in Scotland is renowned for peat-heavy scotch made by the likes of Brooklatic, Lafroig, and Ardbeg. The, the most uh, notable outlier in the region is Bunahabin, where since 1881, they've been producing exceptional whiskey with nary a hint of peat influence on it. Uh, Boonhaben 25 is not a cheap bottle of whiskey. It's $700. So for that, I thank my friends in the industry who keep me uh, uh, in samples, as we call them. But this whiskey really is like an exemplar of elegance and balance. They age it in ex-bourbon scotch and sherry casks. It's got it smells like polished leather and rich dried fruits and spiced oak tastes, sweet berries, roasted nuts, cereal. There's a touch of sea salt on the finish. Um, back in 2010, they actually upped the proof on this one from 86 to 92.6. So it's got a little extra oomph to it. Uh, it is a, it's a world-class whiskey. You know, I, I love scotch. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down, down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, that's how I feel. And, um, I love this scotch. This is in my top five whiskeys in the world, the Bunahabin 25-year-old. So much so that I named my dog Bunahabin, who's sitting next to me right now. That's what I named her, Bunahabin. I came back. She's going to be, uh, man, she's going to be eight years old uh, in March. But this was back when she was three months old. I had my girlfriend at the time, and I rescued her. I just got back from a trip to Scotland, and I had visited Bunahabin and came back with a bottle of Bunahabin 25-year-old. And I poured myself a glass, and we were getting around to the business of coming up with a name for the dog. We had just gotten her from the rescue, and her name then was Chloe. No offense to the Chloe's of the world. Chloe's a lovely name. I think I've uh, I've uh, gone on a few uh, dates with some Chloe's over the years, but it wasn't really the name I wanted for my dog, and couldn't really hit on it. So I poured myself this Bunahabin and we're sitting there on the couch and the dog's next to me and my girlfriend's opposite me and and I was messing around talking to the scotch. And I said, oh, Buna, 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 I love you so much, Buna. And the girlfriend said, what about Buna for the dog? And I turned to the puppy who was sitting next to me, face down, and I said, Buna. And she lifted her head up and looked right at me. And that's been her name ever since. So there's a story for you. 
Uh, on the show today, I am I'm pumped. Uh, I, I did an interview. I was very fortunate uh, to get to talk to Wayne Kramer. Wayne Kramer is the founder of the MC5, one of the most influential bands in rock history, really. Their first album was Kick Out the Jams, and it influenced generations of loud, fast bands from the, the Clash to the White Stripes to the Hives. MC5 was only together for three years. They made three albums. So that's it. Broke up in 1972. Of the original band, only two, I think there were five guys in the original band, only two founding members of the MC5 are still alive. Wayne Kramer, who you're going to hear from in just a little bit, and the original drummer, Dennis Thompson. Um, Wayne's also the first guest that we've had on this show who is sober. Now, he no longer partakes. Um, he's also the first guest who served time in federal prison. In Lexington, Kentucky, from 1975 through 78, he got busted for selling coke to undercover cops. So you can imagine why he is sober now. Uh, Wayne's got a, a memoir called The Hard Stuff, Dope Crime, and the MC5 and My Life of Impossibilities. I highly recommend you check it out. Um, these days, he's uh, he's composing movies uh, for uh, music, excuse me, for mu- movies and TV shows. Uh, he did Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Uh, he did the music, he was a music guy for Eastbound and Down on HBO. We spoke about his newest gig. He is composing movie for a movie called a uh, music for a movie called Freak Power. It's a biopic about uh, my old friend Hunter S. Thompson, directed by Bobby Kennedy. Yes, of those Kennedys. Uh, and so we went to a little party up in the hills where some of the people from the movie were, and I got to talk to Wayne along with my friend Curtis Robinson, who hosts a podcast called Hunter Gatherers. So we're going to have that interview in just a bit. And it's really, it really is fascinating. Wayne is a uh, someone I could talk to forever, and I, I really think you're going to enjoy the interview. Um, this week, you know, the impeachment starts when this show drops is the day the impeachment hearings start in the Senate. Uh, I don't know what your politics are, and I guess I don't care, really. Um, mine are probably pretty obvious from some of the things I say on here. But what I just wanted to touch on, because, you know, someone like Wayne gets me fired up because Wayne was really, really involved uh, in in political issues, um, still is. Uh, this, forget about the impeachment. What has been bothering me is I, I watched this CNN debate the Democratic debate last week, and it made me crazy. Like, it it just, it sort of demonstrated, I think, everything that's wrong with the media these days. And I'm not the kind of guy that piles on the media. I've been a member of the media for a long time. But Jesus Christ, they got to get their shit together. CNN, Matt Taibbi, uh, writer Matt Taibbi for Rolling Stone, he wrote a piece for Rolling Stone, and the headline was, CNN's debate performance was villainous and shameful. And I... I have to agree with Matt on this. I mean, um, Abby Phillip was one of the moderators uh, on there with, along with Wolf Blitzer. And, um, she, okay. So she starts off, first of all, this piling on Bernie Sanders, she starts in with this thing that CNN manufactured themselves, this whole controversy about, um, Bernie telling Elizabeth Warren, a woman couldn't, uh, win, which he denied saying, and I believe him. Um, so she asks him, and uh, he said, and then she asked him to clarify. He said he didn't say it. She said, clarify. He said, that's correct. I never said it. And as soon as he said that, then she turned to Senator Warren and said, what did you think when Senator Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? And as Taibbi pointed out, the when was a fuck you to Bernie. But then it got worse. I around of worse, but it just, it continued to be bad. Um, you know, one of the questions, again, Abby Phillip was asking a lot of the candidates was, 
would you allow Iran to have nuclear weapons? And, and she asked at least three or four of the candidates and they would give these long nuanced answers. And of course the answer is no, but then at the end, she just trying to pin them down. No, I want a yes or no. And I, and I, all I kept thinking to myself is what kind of a question is this? Like, what's the next question? Would you, would you kill puppies on last nationally? Of course they're going to say no. Of course they're going to say they're not going to let Iran have nuclear weapons. Why are you wasting our time with this stupid shit? And then it went on to another low point was same again, Abby Phillip. She asked Bernie, okay, Bernie's talking about his healthcare plan and obviously getting rid of the insurance companies and all these things that are going to go along with universal healthcare. And so she asks him, the, the, the debate was in Iowa, and she said, what would you do about all the poor Iowans who are in the insurance industry who might have to find a different line of work if universal healthcare is enacted? First of all, what the fuck? How about these people get a job that isn't predicated on sucking the blood out of vulnerable people? I'm sorry if you're in the insurance industry, but come on. Uh, What are they going to do? What are the insurance people going to do? That's like asking a guy who came up with a cure for cancer what he's going to do about all the people whose jobs are dependent on people getting sick and dying. Jesus, CNN, you can do better than this, can't you? Right? Oh, my God. Let me get some more scotch. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotchy scotch scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Thank you. Thank you for that. That made me feel better. It settled me. Anyway, that's that's got me nuts, all right? It's got me nuts. A little bit later on in the show, I'm going to tell you about a a new uh, coffee product that's infused with whiskey. You're going to want to stick around for that. But I think right now, uh, what we want to do is we're going to jump in to my interview with Wayne Kramer of the MC5. It was uh, myself and my my buddy Curtis Robinson chatted up Wayne. And um, you know what? Let's do it. already too excited i can barely contain myself <laughs> curtis robinson what's going on right here welcome hunter gatherers late night my this is what happens when we do this a little energy we're here in the hollywood hills no less we are in the hollywood hills uh and that music you heard uh was the result Ooh. of our guest he's the man behind that song that we just listened to called chasing a fire engine off the album Lexington, mm-hmm. am I correct on that? Yeah, you are correct. Wayne Kramer, how are hey, you, buddy? I, I'm well, thank you. Yourself? I'm doing good, man. Good. I'm doing good. It's good to have you on the show. Welcome. We're at, we're in a uh, we're in the luxurious Hollywood Hills. Lots of fo- fo- foliage, 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 foliage. You know, um, is it foliage or foliage? The thing about the Hollywood Hills that reminds me of Hunter is what George Plimpton said about Hunter. Plimpton said, Hunter Thompson is the only thing in America that comes as advertised. I didn't realize that uh, all the songs I'd heard uh, had a gift for understatement. (laughs) So Wayne, tell us about your connection to Hunter. Well, um, I am the uh, composer of the movie Freak Power which chronicles, it's the prequel to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, 
Um, it uh, chronicles Hunter's run for the office of sheriff in Aspen, Colorado in the 70s, his, uh, his unsuccessful uh, bid to become uh, the chief law enforcement officer in the pleasant little town of Aspen. Pitkin County. Yeah. Pitkin County. He ran for sheriff of Pitkin County. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, so when you get a project like that, first of all, how did you come to the project? Um, through mutual friends. Most, most of my work comes via friends. Oh, people have heard what I've done and they like that and they think maybe I could add something like that to their film or their television show. Um, so uh, mostly through um, the great uh, Steve Nemeth. Uh, he, he seems to know everybody, and uh, he connected us up, and we, uh, we've had some discussions and uh, uh, find that we're simpatico. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really fortunate that I don't have to do this for the money. I mean, listen, we all have to pay the rent. and uh, I'm doing it for the sex, actually. Yeah. Curtis, by the way, <laughs> you look good. Oh, that's just the one talking to Is that the Burgundy talking That's right the now? Burgundy like, talking We are there, drinking man. a lot of Burgundy this evening. I am, personally, but yeah. You're doing, you're doing the music yes. for the movie. How do you approach that? Do you, do you have a Hunter Thompson mindset when you're going in? Like, what, what, what are you thinking? All of that. Uh, you know, you, you, the, the composer's job is, um, uh, it's one thing on the surface and then it's another thing under the surface and that's the area that I like to try to get um, a grip on uh, going into a film to understand you know you know so what <laughs> I have to answer the question so what why should I care and uh, and uh, you know what does it mean <laughs> and uh, so those are um, fruitful uh, subjects, you know, and I've had uh, in-depth conversations with Steve and with the director, Bobby Kennedy, and with the star, uh, Jay Bulger, who all have uh, um, good ideas about this. And so my job is to kind of take all this conversation and turn it into music that helps Bobby and Jay tell their story. My job is, a, a, I'm a uh, serviceman. <laughs> I, I come in well, to you know, solve the problem of what to do about music. It, it, it's a different thing, but you know, you know, Hunter, Hunter's love of music was extraordinary. Mm. I mean, he, uh, he talked about it a lot. He, he liked to write hearing music, and uh, you know, he has that whole thing where he says, uh, uh, you know, a car with great music will go further on a tank of gas and other things. <laughs> uh, and so it's, it's different, but you know, did you have, do you have a feeling when you, when you look at, at uh, Hunter's life and, and, and what the movie's about, did you feel like you had to step into that or, or are you secondary to that? Are you, are you like, yeah, that's interesting, but what I'm really doing is the movie. Hmm. Well, I, you know, is that too I, deep a question? No, it's it's just. I've been drinking, so I just ask. That's, that's all right. Uh, I, I have no quarrel with people that drink. I used to drink myself. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been in 
in the world of Hunter Thompson in my own life. Uh, if I can, if I can digress. Uh, oh, please digress. In the 1960s, I started a band from Detroit called the MC five. Can I cut in? Of course. And say that I'm in what world does Depeche mode belong in the rock and roll hall of fame in front of the MC five. The MC five was one of the most influential bands, right? It, It was the first punk band. The MC5 was the first fucking punk band, right? Some say. I would say. I would say, you no, know, yeah. uh, the Sex Pistols and the Clash and all those bands. I don't know. Does that happen without the MC5? I don't think so. Wayne, Sorry, Wayne, I'm upset. Wait, wait. You've upset me. Wayne, now. Jesus. Just sit back. This can go on for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard this rant forever. Hold on. Just give me a second. Uh, <laughs> Come on, baby, kick out the jams. Wayne, is there any chance you own this music? Otherwise, we got another seven seconds before we go into Lawyerville. Right. <laughs> you, there's no way you own this. No, not, not yet, but we're, Come on. we're, we're closing in on the uh, reversion. Um, I'm sorry. It's, rules, it's very upsetting so. to me. And go ahead, Wayne. I cut you off. That's all right. So you know, so, we're, you know, we might as well just come out of the out of the closet here and just say we're going to ask you to sign shit before you leave here because okay. uh, fair enough. Fair we're enough. we're going to go all fanboy on you. Ha- happy. We've happy been professional up to this point though, so that's been pretty good. Listen, I, I I'm in trouble when people don't want me to sign stuff. Yeah. So um, so the MC5, you know, burned hot and burned out pretty quickly. The band was breaking up, and, and uh, my life had become a, a kind of a nightmare, and uh, my substance abuse was out of control. You know, the band's uh, business was out of control. Our, uh, everything we were doing was uh, aberrated and distorted, and, uh, and it was, you know, we saw the writing on the wall. The band was not going to make it much longer. And I happened to be on tour in Europe and found a, a bookstore that had some English language books. And one of them was this book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter, Dr. Hunter S. Thompson. Well, that, it's in English, uh, so I started to read it and, and saw myself and my life there on the page. He, the things he was talking about, the massive quantities of alcohol and drugs that they, him and his attorney were consuming, was exactly what I was doing every day. And the insanity of the story of fear and loathing in Las Vegas was e- exactly equal to the insanity that I was experiencing uh, being in the MC5 at the, at the moment of disintegration. Um, was it a part of your life from early on, like, when did you start drinking? Yeah, Dan, Dan's asking for a friend. Yeah, no, no. When did you start? I mean, I'm, I'm curious about the creative process. Like, when did you, you know, when did you start drinking? And obviously, how much did that inform what you were doing creatively? And then, when did it start fucking up what you were doing creatively? You know, I, I wasn't really a teenage alcoholic. I didn't, I didn't drink as a teen. In fact, I smoked more weed than I drank as a teenager. Um, but uh, after, after a while, uh, when real life gets to be more than I can bear, then I look for something to, to uh, mitigate 
the feelings that I'm having because I don't like the way I feel. And so I found if I drank a glass of vodka, it would change how I felt. I felt different. That's been my experience. Yeah, it's pretty reliable, actually. Or if I shoot a bag of heroin into my arm, I'm going to feel differently. And that's what I needed at the time. And so what I was doing was exactly parallel to what I was reading uh, in Hunter Thompson's work. And to me, it was a great touchstone. It was a great um, kind of something that I could hold on to, a, a point of gravity that I could, I could say, look, I'm not the only nutcase out here. You know, other people are as crazy as I am. Later on, I, I discovered the same thing in the work of Charles Bukowski, for example, um, you know, seeing, seeing my own life being played out in, in somebody else's book. Um, and and uh, that never left me. That, did that you ever see a glamour in that, or did you? Because I know from a young age, when I, you know, the very first time I read *Fear and Loathing*, it I didn't see it as you know, here's a uh, a man in the throes of like desperation or drugs, and, and and I don't even know if I still see it that way. But I certainly, at a young age, I romanticized that mm. lifestyle. I looked mm. at it and I went, mm. Jesus, mm-hmm. this is it. This is what I want to do. Same thing with Bukowski. It's like yes, and then. Obviously, as you know, we know with Hunter and Bukowski, there's a tab that you got to pay. Oh, yeah, oh right? yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, reading uh, Hunter Thompson or reading William Burroughs or reading Hemingway, you know, the hard drinking uh, writer, um, none of those things made me an alcoholic or an addict. What made me an alcoholic and an addict is I like the effect that those substances produced when I took them into my body. Um, you can, you know, it's like watching a movie about mass killers. You don't go out and kill masses of people because you saw it in a movie. There's other things going on that, that have pushed you to that point. Um, so, so, you know, what Thompson did was, because there was no one else doing that. Nobody else was saying things the way he was saying and talking about the things that he was talking about to the degree that he was. And I just found it like uh, my own safe harbor room. You know, there was, there was somebody else that understood what I was going to. He through. used to call it the shock of recognition. Because <laughs> you good. see yourself, it's the shock of recognition. It's the oh, shock shit. of recognition. There's the yeah. shock of recognition. Yeah, well, it, it certainly hit me like a ton of bricks. And with a band like the MC5, <clears throat> I'm, I'm assuming you had no idea that, you know, like you're, oh, like we're, we're laying the groundwork for something that's to come. That's going to be this. Correct. No idea. Thing. Like no that idea. you guys did lay the groundwork for a, a movement that I, you know, is still alive today, I mm. guess. Although the spirit of it, I think has probably been diminished a lot, but um, what, where did that come from? That, that energy that the MC five had. And again, I say like, you know, maybe the first punk rock band, where did it, was it anger? Was it fucking just youthful energy? Was it, you know, what it, was it? It's, it's, all, it's context. And, you know, I grew up, I'm an I'm a archetype baby boomer. And uh, I grew up in that era in the 50s and 60s where it was the, the, the payoff of the great promise of America after World War II, you know, the vets all went over there and they fought the good fight, the great war, and they won, and they come home, and now they can get a job and they can raise their family, they can get a, 
a college loan to go to school on the GI Bill. You can buy your home on the GI loan. Uh, and uh, you could see the USA in your Chevrolet, and uh, you could have all these wonderful consumer products, and, and everything would be fabulous, except it wasn't, that there was an underside to all this. There were contradictions that were obvious to me and to many of my generation that, you know, America talked a good game, but when it came down to it, you know, people of color didn't share in the prosperity in Detroit. Uh, 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 people of limited economic means didn't participate in the booming auto sales industry. Um, they didn't participate in political life in, in uh, Detroit. They were marginalized. And, and uh, um, you know, we talk a good game about civil rights, but but uh, people of color uh, really didn't have the franchise yet. They, uh, Jim Crow laws were still in effect across the country. The war in Vietnam was another contradiction. Uh, you know, this we saw the coming of the environmental consciousness that... Uh, that we talk about at global warming today, well, we, you know, we knew about this 50 years ago, and we discussed it, and we knew that this was going to be uh, a serious challenge for the people of Earth. <laughs> and uh, so all these, all these uh, contradictions um, uh, kind of... Uh, it was fertile ground for a, a radical approach to emerge that we embraced, you know, uh, looking at uh, revolutionary movements of the past, and you know, we're not really—I'm not really a Marxist scholar, but uh, you know, I, I I read it, and I it made more sense to me than capitalism did. But you know, I was 18, you're, 19 you're, years old. You were old. young, and you were pissed off. Yeah, mostly I was angry and uh, frustrated. You I know, it kind of comes through. <laughs> Well, thank God. At least, I mean, hey, at least, we, comes at least we can raise a glass. Thank God all those problems that you back then are been solved. They've now. been solved. Yeah, right. Oh, my That's God, everything's great now. It's we're brilliant. Going, we're good. going on yeah. to this beautiful can I Can I take existence? a quick uh, break right. to take a sip of my wine? Hold on. All right, here we go. Curtis, it isn't often that I get to have uh, someone from the MC5. I know, I know. You've been, you've been looking forward to this. Yeah. I know you've been bringing this up. Like you, you know, come on. <laughs> you know, now that the Eagles are out of the playoffs, this is your life. This is I all see I that. have. I know it's all you've it. got, man. It's all you got. So it's, wait, it's good. But, but seriously, going, going. Uh, you know, I made a joke about you it. You know, but, he's almost. You're, you're about in the. Uh, he's gonna probably. You know. You're about ready to meet his parents. Yes. That's what I'm saying. It's no, but, like, but, I mean, but I made a joke about it. But it, 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 seriously, like when you look back at that time and you think about how pissed off you were and the things that were motivating you and the things that sort of drove uh, the, the, the creative process, is it crazy to you right now in 2020 to look and go, what the fuck is going on? Or right do you now? think like, it's like, like how do well, we how do we not progress from 1970 well this is this is this, the, this is the the question of the day i mean in 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 the 60s i it, i wasn't sure we were going to make it i thought there was a reasonable chance that the earth would become a cinder floating around in space because the Russians and the U.S. government would push yeah, the, the button. The apocalypse was the, the atomic bombs. It was it was right there, you know. The you know what's true crisis. now? There's more atomic bombs now than there were then? 
Well, this is the this is my point that you know I thought well if we could just make it another twenty years we'll get over this and and we'll have a, some new insight and the wisdom will emerge and we'll go on to this beautiful creative existence. Mm-hmm. Now it's fifty years later, and it's worse than it was then. And and it's not part of it's Donald Trump, but it's not Donald Trump. The the problem is a bigger problem. Uh, that faces the whole country. I mean, half of this country feels disconnected from the world around them. They they don't understand it. They don't like it. And yeah, and the other half voted it. for Trump. Yeah. Well, you know, I have <laughs> exactly look, right. You know, you come from Detroit. I have friends. I have fr- so I interesting. I have a friend uh, from uh, Farmington Hills. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, up yep. there. So. And he's he's a uh, tra- he's a Trump guy, and we've been friends for a long time, and it's, the relationship's been strained. Sure. And I I try, I, I don't think all I don't believe that everybody that supports Donald Trump is a bad person. Right. What I believe is that everybody that support I believe that a lot of people that support Donald Trump feel they've been let down. Sure. Right. They, yeah. they feel that whatever this American dream is that Hunter used to talk about all the mm-hmm. time. Like that thing escaped them. They they're disconnected. They, they didn't know. get that yep. right. And so you look at a lot of these people now. They're fifty years old. They're sixty years old, and mm-hmm. they're going, "What the fuck?" You know, yep. like so. Why not? Why not vote for him? Because every you know. I've oh been, yeah, it's the, it's I've the middle voting, finger vote. I've been it's voting the vote. same way my whole life, and it's not. It's got me nowhere. Right. right? So <laughs> let's try this guy. Right. right? And and of right. course, in my mind. That's a fucking disaster. Yeah. But at the same time, and I got to say, maybe this is sort of a Hunter S thing. On a perverse level, mm-hmm. I like it. In a weird way, I like it because I like that people are so angry and that that energy is there. Something's going to come out of this, right? Yeah. Like when Reagan was around and when, like there was the movement, the music and the art that came out of that was inspired. I'm not seeing it quite yet in the Trump era, but like I'm hoping. Well, you know, you can kind of think what a great time for for a Hunter Thompson film. Well, right? he was Hunter was heavily influenced too by the like the Beats. Yeah, did that did that influence you as well? Oh, sure, like sure. Ginsburg and those yeah, guys. Yeah, like Gin- that was- yeah, Ginsburg and Burroughs and and uh, Kerouac and. Uh, Gregory Corso and all those guys, man. Mario Salvo. And, you know. <laughs> all right, now, now, now you're going crazy. Now you're going a little bit crazy. I, we'll just pause. Yeah, let everybody Google that. Uh, we're not going to go into background on that, but just. But yeah, the beat. The, enjoy the, yourself. The beat. The beat. The beats. You know, were the the original anti-establishment movement. You know, they they saw a different way of looking at the world and. And you know that evolved into the hippie movement, which has evolved into everything else that we've experienced over the last. But if, if memory serves about the MC Five, like you guys were also, uh, I rem- maybe I'm, I, I might be completely fucking this up, but like you guys were kind of like the Black Panthers as well, and Marxism and right, because mm-hmm. and, I remember like there being like people kind of shitting on you guys, certainly for. Oh, we got a lot of criticism from our own comrades on the left, which uh, I always, I, it really, it, it pained me. You know, I expected pushback from the police and parents and teachers and prosecutors. I didn't expect it from our own 
friends. <laughs> and what what was the pushback? How did that how did that oh, manifest it, itself? It went it went along the lines of you're not revolutionary enough for the revolution. Right. <laughs> you know, like how how can you handle money and say you're for the revolution? Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, let me figure that out. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, how you know uh, how can how, how can you guys charge a fee to perform if you're for the people? You know, if everything's supposed to be free for everybody, because <laughs> we got to pay for these goddamn guitars. Yeah, right? yeah, you know. <laughs> Uh, Soundboards ain't cheap, my right, friend. Right. Who's still around? Sonic uh, Smith, he's dead. He died yeah. a long time ago, right? Probably uh, 20, 20 years, years ago. 20 yeah. years ago? Was Him it? and Rob Tyner died uh, Rob, four he, years Rob ago. Rob was the singer. Yeah, he was the singer. Fred Smith was the yeah. other guitarist. Guitar player. Uh, Michael Davis, the bass player, died three years ago. And uh, just me and Dennis Thompson are left. Jesus. Yeah, there's a high attrition rate in this game. <laughs> <laughs> you think? Yeah, all right. Hold on. Right, on that we're... happy note, hold on. Give me a second. All right. That's about as good as it gets, and I guess oh, we're running out of time, right? Wayne, Wayne is having such a great time, he started doing heroin again. Yeah, right yes. now. Like, <laughs> on, he's shooting up right now. This is yeah. incredible. Uh, yeah, this is yeah. the worst intervention ever. Uh, okay, uh, uh, I know we're running out of time. I see that in your, your eyes, Dan. And, and, no, uh, we're not uh, running out right, of but, shit. Uh, I'll talk all but, day. Uh, but, you know, uh, Wayne, but we, we have, Wayne's got uh, a family. He's a family man now. He he's is. Got, you know, yeah, he's got but, uh, a, uh, a wife and a child. and you know. Wayne, um, the Hall of Fame thing, you know. When the day does comes, it bother, does it bother you at all, or does it bother you? No, it doesn't bother me. You know, this has been the fifth. It pisses us would off. you go? Would you go if you got if you got it? Sure, I'd go. Yeah, can we sure. go with you? Is what we're wanting to know. Can we come? Of course you can. Can I fill in? Can I play Sonic Smith? Can Absolutely. I, can I, I, We've got tickets. We'll be backstage. <laughs> well, the, uh, you know, it it might be helpful to remember that uh, some of the people that kick the MC5 out of the music business are the same people that run the Rock Hall, so. Do you want to name them? Well, Jan Wenner was one. <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. goddamn bastard. And, uh, and I don't think we got any positive uh, encouragement from him. You know Jan Wenner? Yeah. <laughs> Podcast listener. Never heard of him. Hey. Never heard hey, of him. Hey, Mr. Wenner. How you doing? <laughs> Wayne Kramer. An honor, man. Really, an uh, honor to meet you. Sweet and to say to, that. Thank you Thank so you much. for coming on the show. And keep rocking, motherfucker. Keep rocking. Can't and, uh, stop, won't stop. And you and you'll be back, right? Yes, of All course. Right, good. They're gonna sue the shit out of us for this. Oh, we're doomed. It's out of here. So there you have it, Wayne Kramer. Loved it. Uh, Wayne doesn't drink, obviously. Uh, For those of you who do, I've got something cool to tell you about. As I'm sure you're aware, Irish Coffee Day is January 25th. Yes, who doesn't celebrate Irish Coffee Day? Wayne Kramer doesn't. Uh, This is a new collaboration that I'm going to tell you about between uh, Fire Department Coffee. Fire Department Coffee is a Chicago-based company founded by two former firefighters. 
and they use this proprietary method to infuse spirits into their coffee beans, okay? So they did a collaboration with our friends at Egan's Irish Whiskey, where they're, they're, uh, they're using Egan's Vintage Grain Irish Whiskey. That's a, a, a single-grain Irish whiskey aged 7 to 10 years. They used that uh, to infuse their coffee beans, okay? And I, and I got a chance to try it. It's... Um, it's really nice. It's smooth. It, you know, there's no alcohol in there. They get rid of the alcohol, but it's it's very smooth, pleasing. It's 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 got uh, some vanilla and and hints of caramel in there. Um, it's a cool thing to do. Again, if you're celebrating Irish Coffee Day, uh, if you buy this, uh, they the the uh, fire department coffee is going to donate ten percent of their proceeds every order to support uh, injured firefighters and first responders. <coughs> And their families. Sorry about that. Um, it's the scotch. So uh, you can get this uh, Egan's Irish Whiskey Infused Fire Department coffee online at Fire D-E-P-T, Fire Depth Coffee. So Fire Department, you get it. FireDepthCoffee.com. It's $19.99. It comes in 14-ounce uh, ground and whole bean bags. So it's, you know, it's not cheap, but hey, 20 bucks, And 10% of that's going to go to a good cause. Um and uh, you can also get it at some retailers, uh, or you can get the Egan's Vintage Grain at retailers all over the country, and a bottle of that's 40 bucks, 46% alcohol by volume, and when you get it, I'm going to get you excited, you're going to, here's how you make their Irish coffee, you get that Egan's, then you get three parts cold brew made from that coffee, two parts of the Vintage Grain, one part Demerara syrup, some heavy cream and nutmeg, you mix that all together, shake it vigorously, shake it, shake it, shake it. With heavy cream in a tin, and you use a spherical whisk, and then you pour some whipped cream over the coffee. Oh, my God. I'm loving it. I'm so excited right now. I really am. And with that, I think uh, I'm going to leave you. Um, I'll tell you about next next episode. We've got a cool one. I have uh, Curtis Robinson on again and our friend Katie Clancy. We were all at the Hunter S. Thompson uh, funeral, the famous funeral that Johnny Depp, the memorial service that Johnny threw for Hunter. And the 15-year anniversary of Hunter's death is coming up in just a couple of weeks. So I figured we'd talk about that. We would, you know, we were one, we were 250 people were there and we were among them and kind of give you the, di- we dish on like what went down that night and it was a crazy night. So that's going to be on the next episode. I encourage you to follow me at the imbiber on Instagram and Twitter comments are always appreciated. Uh, I'm going to have some pictures up there of Wayne Kramer and myself and uh, all kinds of other good stuff. And um, I don't know what else there is to do other than, you know, kind of get out of here. Thanks for joining us, everybody.